He's the one who came up with the whole idea for relationships in the first place. You know, we say we serve a triune God. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And for all time, it, there's never been a point where he wasn't in relationship even within himself. So he sets this bar and he creates us to be in relationship with him and other people. But man, you put relationships, put friendship in the hands of a broken, sinful people. And we see just like Augie and Jack in that clip, we, we tend to mess it up. Things can go south really quickly just when you think they're in a really, really good spot. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, what, what do we do when that happens in our relationships, and especially when it happens here within the church, where we say we're the family of God. You know, how do we pursue friendship the way God made us to pursue it? How do we prioritize the relationship with Him and have it be the foundation? You know, because if we're serious about the fact that Jesus and following Him is an us thing, well, it means that as He's working on us and changing us to be more like Him, well, that's an us thing. And as we go out to reach the people, the 87% of folks in Shelbyville who aren't part of a church and very likely do not know him, well, that's also an us thing. We don't operate alone. We need these friendships. So what do we do when we have a Jack and Augie moment and it, it just gets blown up? Well, there's something that we're going to see today. Um, you know, we've been walking through this Galatians series. This is week four, and Brad and Craig have done a good job just walking us through the first couple chapters. And last week, Craig talked about something that was a, a huge issue and that when Paul writes this letter, he's dealing with, and that was legalism. Now, legalism is something that tends to um, stop relationships from being able to form. But today we're going to talk about something else. We're going to talk about hypocrisy. And hypocrisy, um, you know, Craig offered us a couple definitions last week. He said, well, legalism, it's when you do the right thing, you got right behavior, but you've got wrong belief. Well, and he said hypocrisy was when you have wrong behavior, but right belief. You know, if, if you prefer like a dictionary definition, this is what hypocrisy is. It's the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which your own behavior doesn't conform. And what we're going to see when we're at the end of this, I always kind of say, God, what is something that if we read your word is just one truth? There might be a bunch of, what's one that can kind of stick? And this one is one that kind of stuck in my brain. If you're a note taker, you might want to scribble this down. And that's, you know, when it comes to relationships, legalism halts relationships. Hypocrisy hurts, but faith heals. Faith, which is having not just the right behavior, but also the right belief, that, that heals. So whereas legalism uh, can stop a relationship from forming in the first place, hypocrisy can hurt an existing relationship, making it seem beyond repair. Well, it, it's faith. It's God's help that can put our relationships back together. So I'm going to pray for us as we unpack this, that, that we won't just see this as, oh, something that Paul scribbled down on a piece of parchment 2,000 years ago, but we see it as, no, God spoke then and he's still speaking now. This is an us thing, and we're part of the us that heard this for the first time. So Jesus, we're here, uh, we're in this series, and we're getting to read this letter, God. Um, I thank you that Paul wrote this. Um, I can't imagine it was easy for him. I know he was very just upset when he wrote these words, God, and and, and for us, um, as even now, watching that clip, God, we, we see this example of Augie and Jack and, and how things can go south and how hypocrisy on the part of someone like Jack can blow it up. God, if there's some relationship in our mind that, that came to mind that, that has been hurt by hypocrisy, will you give us hope that faith in you, that having you in common means it's not the end of the story there? 
Will you give us hope? Will you teach us in your word? Will you show us um, what they understood then? And then show us, what does it mean now? How do we go live this and let this change us? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if there's one thing I realized, um, I think we've had a little bit of a map deficiency for a good while now. And, and yet, I also want to be respectful to the fact, you know, maps are a very, they're kind of an intense thing for some folks. So I didn't want to go too heavy, so we went very conservative. I only have three today. Um, so, so if you're wondering, okay, so this letter, Galatians, written to a region of Galatia, where is that? Well, we got a map here. Uh, Hogan's going to throw it up here. Here it is, just north of the Mediterranean Sea. You see the whole thing. Now, when Paul wrote this, uh, he was writing a church that he founded. And so we've got, this map shows where his first missionary journey had gone. And so you can see in this next picture how he leaves from Antioch, right there, his starting point. And he'd gone all over the place. But at one point, he ends up going through southern Galatia and, and basically founding and planting churches in places like Iconium, Lystra, Derby, And so these are the churches in southern Galatia that are getting this letter. And there's another map that's a little clearer. It's not that exciting, but a little more zoomed in. And so these are the people, people who lived here uh, almost 2,000 years ago, read these words the first time, and we get to read them today. And so what happens is Paul founds these churches. People hear the good news of Jesus. They hear the gospel. They respond to it. It's great. But Paul loves these people. They're his friends. They're his brothers and sisters in Christ. So he tries to get reports on them. And the report he gets is not a good report. Because as Craig talked about last week, people didn't just hear the good news say, oh, it's about what Jesus did for us. No, they decided they needed to try to add something to that, that what Jesus did wasn't good enough. And Paul's like, oh my gosh, they're going to totally miss this. And and he realizes it's not just legalism that's an issue, but he realizes there's a lot of hypocrisy going on. There's a lot of people who know better and say they believe one thing, and they're acting a completely different way. So Paul, is what he's going to end up doing is he's going to end up saying to them, hey, you know what? I've dealt with this before. This is a struggle everybody has. Brad says that. Brad's, I love it. Brad says all the time, hypocrisy isn't a Christian issue. It's a human issue. It doesn't matter whether you follow Jesus. You're going to struggle with being a hypocrite in your life. But he gives this example, and Paul's going to say, you know, I had to call out a good dear brother on this, and he received it, and I want you to do the same thing. And so if you're here and you're going, wait, you just said it was week four of this series. I missed Labor Day, or I wasn't here when Brad teed this off in late August. And you're like, can you just kind of catch me up and get me up to speed? Well, we would actually love to do that. So if you glance at the screen, we'll, you'll kind of see where we've been going through chapter one and the first part of chapter two. And we'll get you up to speed, and then we'll dive right in. So check this out. All right, so that is where we've been. That's where we're heading. Let's just dive right in and unpack it. So if you want to grab your Bible, hard copy, if you want to jump on the YouVersion app, tablet, whatever you've got, we're going to have it on the screen. This is Galatians chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 11. And so Paul is writing this, and he dives right into telling them about what he had to do. He says, when Cephas, which is another word for um, Peter, or Cephas, came to Antioch, which was Paul's home base, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, who was down in Jerusalem, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. 
So apparently what's happened is Peter, whose home base is Jerusalem, he, is, he was one of Jesus' disciples. He's a key leader in the church, and he would travel to visit some other churches to probably encourage them, check out things they're doing so he could give a report. This is a great thing. Peter comes, and Peter was a, grew up a Jew, and yet the gospel was going out to Gentiles who never were Jews like he was. Uh, Peter was circumcised when he was right after he was born, likely. The Jews have not been, and yet God has said, hey, I'm welcoming everyone into my family, and you're one big family. You need to act like it. So when Peter first comes, he is eating with the Gentiles, not just the Jews. It's great. But then another guy comes, and all of a sudden, Peter's feeling a little bit of pressure, and all of a sudden, he's not eating with the Gentiles. He's going back where he's comfortable. He's eating with the Jews, and people are taking note of this, and Peter's a pretty big influence. And now all of a sudden, Paul's saying, this is such a big deal. Barnabas, our buddy Barney, is like watching, and he's like, he, he's starting to do the wrong thing. He's like, I got to call Pete out on this because this is going in a terrible, terrible direction. Now, before you put Peter in this, you know, like just this villain column, we do need to show a little bit of empathy. He said, well, so what's going on here? All right, so Peter was in Jerusalem. A lot of intense things happened in Jerusalem. I mean, it was where Jesus was crucified, remember? And so one of the things that Peter and the leaders in the church, like James, were dealing with was there was a lot of nationalism that was starting to build up during this time. And that's because the nation of Israel did not have their independence. They were ruled over by Rome. So there was this growing sense of nationalism where a bunch of Jews, they were just getting sick and tired of always having the Romans hanging over their heads. And they were starting to like, talk amongst each other, like, hey, are you really in on this? Are you a real Jew? Well, if you're a real Jew, you want, you want Israel to have your independence, right? You want us to do this. And there was this kind of growing sense of that. And so guys like Peter and James are kind of going, well, okay, we, I mean, we love our country. We were born here. This is my homeland. And yeah, we don't really love the Romans ruling over it, but the truth be told, we don't ultimately answer to Israel or, or Rome we really answer to Jesus, and we want to do what he's calling us to do. So this is a dicey, difficult thing. There's like politics going on. And so at the end of the day, though, Paul realizes, Pete, you really shouldn't do this where you are. You especially can't come into our house, into this church, in, on my home base, and do this. And so he calls him out. And in verse 14, he goes on and he says, well, When I saw that they weren't acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you're a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? He says, Pete, you know God's story. You know where we're at in it. You know that, yeah, the law was good and it served its purpose. It showed how we fall short. It showed the sin in our lives. That was great, but it could never save us. It was never meant to do that. And now you're sending the wrong message that well, what Jesus did isn't enough. We've got to go back and do those things too. Pete, that doesn't fly. It doesn't line up with what Jesus said. Verse 15, he says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person's not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now this word, you saw it unpacked on the video a little bit, but justified basically means to be in right standing. So when we hear, when we say righteous, it's not something that you guys are just like, righteous, you know, although I, I think that's pretty great. You know, righteousness is when you have right standing before God, and it's because, it's not because of anything we did, it's because of what Jesus did. Jesus 
paid the consequence. So when we stand before the court, we say, uh, I'm with Jesus. Uh, what he did counts for me too. And I want to honor him for that. Well, but that's not what's happening. So there's been legalism that's been going down. But Paul says, but hypo hypocrisy? Pete, really? Like, man, there's enough issues as it is. We're one family. We're God's family. We're all disciples, period. End of, end of discussion is what he's saying. When I think about being justified, the, one of the points that comes up, I had a friend named Susie, and several years ago, uh, she was uh, part of one of my ministry teams at a previous church. And when we were living up by Chicago, she got some uh, traffic ticket. I think she was speeding or something. She had to go to traffic court. And it was an area where the traffic court was very busy. You would go, and you might be there for hours and hours just waiting for your case to be heard, but you never knew how quickly that was going to happen, so you had to be there early. So she said, hey, Mom, can you go with you? Her mom goes, and they went, and she said, Mike, I wish I had just gotten some popcorn and some milk duds because it was one of the most entertaining things to watch people in traffic court because what they would do is they would queue up video in this area. There were tons of cameras at intersections everywhere. So when it happened, you know, the judge would call you up, you know, case number 1247, you'd go up, they'd play the video of what happened. So you see it, the judge sees it, everybody sees it. And if you had a lawyer there, whatever, they'd see it. When she said, man, at one point it was crazy because this one uh, guy gets up there and he had clearly made an illegal turn. And uh, the judge said, started trying to say, well, hey, sir, it's, it's clear you'd made a mistake. And the guy kept pointing and said, well, what about him? What did he get for his wrongdoing? And he's pointing at this other car that had also done the same thing. And, and, and the judge said, well, sir, I'm certain he probably also got a ticket in the mail and he's going to be appearing. But right now, we're not talking about him. We're talking about you. You are not in right standing. You've done wrong. There's going to have to be something to rectify this. There's going to have to be a fine or safe driving class. And it was just very insightful at what it meant to be justified. We all want to be justified. We all want to have right standing. But sometimes, instead of trusting God to show us and, and embracing what he did, we try to do it on our own. And it doesn't work out well at all. Paul went on in verse 17, he says this. He says, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, well, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. So Paul says, Pete, if, if we keep living this way, we're going to misrepresent Jesus. The law didn't save before. It can't save now. We've been there. It wasn't pretty. So you know what, Pete? You've got to stop sinning. You've got to make this right. Be the leader. Set the example. Don't destroy what's happening. Because we both know if we go back, that there's no hope there. There's no hope. And this is how he wraps it up. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, well, then Christ died for nothing. Paul's not knocking the law. Paul sees, you know what? Yeah, it showed me where sin was in my life. It showed me I was dead to Jesus. It pointed to where God's story was heading. But you know what? I died to the law when I was crucified with Christ. I said, I'm not about me. It's not about what I want anymore. It is about Jesus. It's about his plan. The law wasn't the answer. Jesus is the answer. And if the law was the answer, Jesus coming is pointless. Why did he even bother to come? Now, I would liken this to this. So back when I was in 
um, high school, probably middle school, actually, into middle school. This would be like late 90s. It was when, even out in the rural areas, we started to get this thing called internet connections. And some of you will remember this. What kind of internet did we have? We had the good old-fashioned dial-up. And dial-up was super essential because how did we communicate with our friends pre-cell phones and we couldn't text with them, you know? Uh, do any of you remember, by any chance, how did we communicate? Yeah, we wrote notes. That was one thing. We sent telegrams. What was that? Yeah, we made, we made calls. Yep, maybe on our grandparents' rotary phones. Yep, anybody? Yep, yep. We had a rotary phone when I was growing up. But there was something that was the cutting edge one when I was in high school. It was even better. And it was called AOL or AIM. And it was instant messenger. And it was like texting on a computer and you'd come home and you'd get off the bus and you'd rush in and you'd go in and you'd get your snack. I'd get the rainbow uh, M&M cookies that my dad loved and he let me eat some of them and I'd get my thing and I'd, I'd click to connect and be and you'd get the connection and you'd pray it was good enough, you'd log in and all of a sudden you're just communicating with your friends and it was beautiful for like 20 or 30 minutes. But then all of a sudden from the other house, hey, your dad's going to be calling. I need you to get off the internet so he can call. Because you remember with cell phones, you think, well, why didn't you just call on the cell phone? Oh, cell phones, y'all. It was crazy. We only had like 200 minutes a month. It was bad. And so, you know, I, would, I was probably like, mom, can't you just call? Can't, can't dad just call after nine when it's free? Remember that? Remember that? Yeah, we called each other after nine. You're like, I don't even want to talk to myself after nine. We, we talked after nine. It was nuts because we couldn't text, you know. And so I felt like my, oh, my communication with my friends was severed, right? But now this is way different. You know, we moved back a year and a half ago, and there's this wonderful, awesome, high-speed connection in our house. It's usually pretty dependable. And I can stream movies and Netflix and YouTube. I can work from home if I have to. It is this beautiful, awesome thing. I can FaceTime people across the world. It is, it is great. So imagine... You know, if I suddenly said, you know what, babe, I don't know. I'm feeling sentimental. I just want to get me some of that good old-fashioned dial-up internet. You'd be like, Mike, you are an idiot. And some of you tell me that regularly for reasons other than just that. This is, this is a hypothetical situation. But it was just like that. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's like, Pete, Jesus came. It's the high speed. It's the great connection. Don't go back to dial-up. Not the law. It's the law of Christ, bro. We're surrendered to him. We got this. We got this. And so Paul's just laying it out that, you know, when it comes to relationships within the church, relationship with God, you know, legalism is going to halt and prevent the relationship from going anywhere. Well, hypocrisy, like we're seeing there, it, it's going to hurt the relationships, but it's faith in Jesus that's going to heal this relationship. And to Peter's credit, he took it like a man. He said, I'm wrong, and he admitted it. And, and so Paul is writing this letter telling the Galatians, I love you too much not to say something. I'm going to tell you, just like I told Peter, nobody's above this. Nobody is above this. So how, how does this relate to us? Right here, Shelbyville, 2019. Well, if Peter, as an apostle who spent years with Jesus, who was one of the 12 disciples, if he could succumb to peer pressure and he could fall into hypocrisy, any of us can fall into hypocrisy. You know, we're always saying all the time that if you think you're too mature 
to stumble, then you're probably in danger because any of us can drift. And the reason a lot of you started meeting in your small groups this past week, it was kind of your, your launch week. And the reason we say you need to be in a gospel-centered group is because you need accountability, you need people to speak truth and to love you even when it's tough, even when it's hard. And so I started asking God, okay, God, well, so hypocrisy, awesome. Where, how do we even address this? How do we think about this? Because there's a lot of directions we could go. And one of the cool things we can do sometimes is to say, okay, well, how have they dealt with this in the church before? Uh, Brad, like I said, says all the time, hypocrisy, it's not a, just a church issue, not just a Christian issue. It's a human issue. The church has dealt with this. How have they done it? Well, there's one group of people several hundred years ago, and they were called the Puritans. They did some stuff really well, some stuff not so well, but they had a way that they thought through hypocrisy. And they thought in this way that there's three different types of hypocrisy. So I'm going to walk through this and give you the names of those. And uh, Brian's going to put them on the screen. And I want you to just kind of be open head and say, am I a hypocrite in any of these ways in my life? Do I need to surrender that to Jesus and ask him to work in me? So the first one they called natural hypocrisy. And uh, they wrote that this is the hypocrisy you'll see in everybody's life. Even the person, as they would put it, even the most upright in heart has in them some hypocrisy uh, that sometimes they seem to be someone that they're not. And so an example is, so let's say you think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus, I'm being faithful, um, I'm making a decision every day, I'm reading his word, uh, I'm talking to him, uh, I'm pursuing relationships with other people, I'm looking to see, hey, am I being changed? Uh, or am I more about what God wants instead of what I want? Am I on mission for him? Am I praying each day that as I go about and see my coworkers and my family, that I'm having chances to just point them to Jesus, point them to Jesus. And yet there's still these moments you stumble. I had one yesterday. So we had the Farnsley family reunion. Uh, my great uncle came up from Louisiana and we had this big shindig. It was awesome. There was one, one table just devoted to meat and beans. It was wonderful. There was another table just devoted to dessert. And there was another table devoted mostly to vegetables, but we didn't hang out at that table very much, all right? We had a very great time. It was awesome. And everybody leaves at the end of the day, and we're putting everything together. We're putting things up. And one thing I had to do was I had to jump in Papa Jim's old red pickup truck, and I had to park it back in the barn. Well, I go to hop in it, and Silas, my middle kiddo, he's uh, five, almost six, he realized what I was going to do. And when I jumped in the truck, he was in the passenger seat. I said, oh, buddy, you going to ride with me to park it? He said, yep. All right. We drive around. We park it in the barn. And he starts playing with the lock, unlock button. I said, hey, bud, we can't touch that button because if I hop out and you touch the button and shut your door, I can't get in the truck. And dad's van is in the shop. Right now it's getting fixed. This is the way dad's getting to church tomorrow and I got to preach. He said, okay. So I jump out. I'm walking around the truck. And about two seconds later, I hear thunk, slam. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy, I was ticked. I flew around the truck and came over and, Silas, what are you, bud, I just told you. What were you thinking? He's freaking out, you know. And did I have the right to be frustrated? Yeah. Did I have to discipline him and give him a consequence? Yeah. But was I honoring God and how I was approaching my son? Not at all. I flipped the heck out on Cy. And, and, and later, a few minutes later, I told Sarah, I said, we've got to sit down and I, I need to let him know that's not okay, that he deliberately disobeyed me. But I also need to let him know, you know what, I was wrong. And I told him, I said, you know, bud, 
it's my job as your dad to call you on stuff like this, but you know, the way I went about it, it wasn't right. I was unkind. Will you forgive me, bud? He said, yeah, dad, I, I forgive you. It's okay. Well, we're going to talk about your consequence, but you know, it's important that you know that that's not how you handle this. It's not how you handle this at all. There, there was some natural hypocrisy in me. So maybe you're there. Maybe you're where I was yesterday. There's a second kind, not just natural hypocrisy, but foul and gross hypocrisy is what they called it. And this is when a person's heart isn't at all what it seems like uh, it looks like to everybody else in the world. It's when you believe the wrong thing, but you still try to behave the right way. You kind of put up appearances. So basically you're saying, oh, I love God. I love God, but you totally resist like his leading. You know, the, the, it's just something's off there. And so what I thought of with this one would be, this is like uh, the Pharisees, for one. We read about the Pharisees a lot and how they were really legalistic. Well, I, we knew some friends that when we were getting ready to move back here to Indiana, it was a tough decision over time. And we were talking with a lot of people, what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do we do this? And, and we were finally to the point where like, you know, we don't know what sits on the other side. We know where we're going to live. Don't know where we're going to work, but we're about to make this jump, right? Okay. And we were talking to some friends who were very convinced that, you know what, there's something God wants us to do and he's doing it. And I was excited for them because they're about to make the jump too. We're going to do this. And I'm no better than them. But all of a sudden one day they said, you know, we see what God's supposed to do, but there's just no way we can do it now. We can't do it. And I remember being like, but you, didn't you say you're like all aboard for Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Well, didn't you say that, you know, don't we say all the time there's risk? Yep. Well, why don't you take the jump? Well, we just can't right now. And I don't know if it was fear, what it was, but I just, I saw it. There was just this, there was just this disconnect that they were saying, I totally believe this, but I'm not going to act on it. Now, maybe that's you. Somewhere in your life, you say, you know, you would say, well, I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to follow God, but I'm just not going to follow him, I'm not going to obey him. And this needs to be the moment where you say, you know what, that foul, gross hypocrisy, it's got to go. I'm going to say yes to what God's told me to do, no matter what it costs me. And there's a third kind. This is called formal hypocrisy. This one's kind of dangerous because what makes this one so dangerous is this is when someone, you don't just deceive other people, you even deceive yourself. You're at the point when you're formally hypocritical. And this is dangerous because it's this blind spot you miss, and really unless the Holy Spirit or someone that loves you calls you out on it. And, and so this is when you're so prideful that you think, just because I do the right things, it must mean I'm right where God wants me to be, just because I'm doing the right things. And I think about, uh, there was a guy, his name was Kurt. Uh, I knew him years ago. And Kurt was kind of that classic curmudgeon. He was that guy, he just, he took issue with everything. He made comments about everything. He just exhausted you. Nothing was good enough. Um, he had been there, done that. He'd been in churches. He was convinced he had the right answer all the time. And it was just, it was, it was just exhausting to deal with him. And I, none of us knew what to do with Kurt. We tried to love him. It was tough. He was convinced, I've done the right things. I've been there. I've done that. I am the man everyone wants to be. And yet everyone's looking going, dude, I, I can't be you. I'm surprised you can be you. And one day I came in and I knew that one of my other pastors on staff, I knew he had had a meeting with Curtis. I said, hey, I ought to go. He goes, well, you're not going to believe this, but I think Kurt just surrendered his life to Jesus. I said, are you serious? Really? He said, yeah, yeah. 
he, he came in and he sat down. He said, you know, I, I think I've tried to do the right things all these years. And I convinced myself that doing all this right stuff made me what I need to be. But I realize now it's, it's about what Jesus did. It's about what he wants. I don't want to live like this anymore. And it was one of the most amazing 180s I ever watched in my entire life. Kurt, it was like all of a sudden he was kind. It didn't seem contrived. He, he, he was on board. He was an encourager. He prayed for people. He showed up. He would offer his thought once in a while, but it was clear he wanted what was best for everybody. And I watched that. He just took that formal hypocrisy and he shoved it up the devil's butt and he surrendered to Jesus. And it was so cool. So where are you as you are talking to Jesus and the band's coming up and you're sitting in this? Is there any natural hypocrisy? Any foul and gross hypocrisy? Maybe some formal hypocrisy that's there? Because here's the truth. We say when it comes to relationships, legalism halts them, hypocrisy hurts them, and faith heals them. Well, I don't know where you are in this, but this is our response time. Some of you are going, oh Lord, I need prayer. And he's prompting you, you need to go and you need to get prayer from the band when they come down or come to the prayer room. Some of y'all, as you're even walking to the offering boxes, you're going to maybe think, okay, I'm going to put my offering in. I'm going to get the heck out of here. And he's going to prompt you that, hey, there's someone in this room that hypocrisy hurt your relationship with them and you need to go and you need to make it right. And I want to encourage you, you know, we saw that example at the beginning of Jack and Augie. It's like, oh man, that, that's such a downer. Jack and Augie, that wasn't the end of the story. There was a reconciliation that happened, that, that there was a faith restored in each other, and God wants to do that. So maybe there's some, one of these ways that hypocrisy is in your life, and God's saying, you know what, as we sing this song together, and as these words wash over us, it's time to stop hurting yourself, and it's time to get right in relationship with God, with other people, because there's too much at stake if we don't. There's just too much at stake if we don't. And if you're saying, I've never had that relationship, oh my goodness, would I love to talk with you about that and what that could look like. So Jesus, we're going to sing to you. This is for you. Show us what you want us to do. Let us not walk out these doors with hypocrisy still clinging to our lives. Let us put our faith in you. Bring healing. Change us. Change us, Jesus, because we love you. And we say together, boldly, Amen.